so that his family will be able to, to see it. We're going to have the baptism the week afterwards. So Sharon will be baptised next Lord's Day, and then Noah, God willing, the, the Lord's Day after that. It's a great blessing to us, folks. It's great to be back at Bencham, folks. It really is. Um, last Lord's Day, we tried to get here, but we're, we're prevented, and we joined in Zoom. Folks, it's not the same. It's not the same as, as being here. We did find some Christians on our travels, but it's not the same. It's not the same as being at home. So as, as we've said already, the, uh, another sister joined us this morning, by the way. Sister, what's your name again? Daisy. Daisy. Well, well, you're very welcome. We forgot to mention that she had joined us this morning as well. We're starting to read from Second Timothy and chapter number one. We've been reading in First Timothy and we're now moving into 2 Timothy. There's about a five or a six year gap between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Most of that time, Timothy's been resident at the, with the church, the assembly at Ephesus, doing what he was exhorted to do in 1 Timothy. Uh, at least once, we think, Paul and Timothy had met up between these two occasions. But now Paul's writing this about five or six years after we had read in First Timothy. There are times, you know, when folks, when the Lord stops you in your tracks and really just says to you, do you actually believe what you say you believe? Do you believe what you believe? What do I mean by that, folks? I mean, is the Lord and Christian things as important to you in a Monday morning as it is in a Sunday morning? Does he mean as much to you on a Wednesday afternoon as he does to you on a Lord's Day morning? Is he Lord on a Thursday evening the same as he is on a Sunday morning? Because we live in a kind of modern atmosphere of Christianity where what you do is you plug in your Christian bit on a Sunday morning and then the rest of the week is you're free. You're free, right? But the Lord kind of stopped me this week and just says, look, do you really believe what you say you believe? And during our studies in First Timothy, not this time but before, I came to a very, very strong conviction about something. And I'll tell you what it is. In First Timothy 4 and 13, there's a very important verse in the Bible. And I know some of you think I'm too old and stuck in the mud to change, but I'm not, folks. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm constantly looking to the Lord to, to improve me and change me. And one of the things he's changed is, I'm a great adherent, you know, to the King James Version. I love my King James Bible. But I'm much more coming along to the ESV, and I'm much more preferring the ESV for my reading, both privately and publicly, because I find that it helps me understand things a little better. And you would think after all these years reading my Bible, I would understand things, wouldn't you? But the ESV is really, really helping me. And in First Timothy 4.13, I came to a conviction a number of years ago this is what it says in the ESV. Until I come, so Paul's saying, I'm going to come and see you. Devote yourself. Now that word devote means immerse yourself. Listen to this. Listen to how the ESV puts it. To the public reading of scripture. You see that? To the public reading of scripture. And I came to the conviction that God's word is far more important than a man's word. And that when we gather together, we probably don't give enough prominence to the public reading of the word of God. And I came to that deep conviction that, that what the Lord has to say in his word is far more important than anything a human's got to say. Right? I also came to the conviction as well that, that letters in the Bible 
are letters in the Bible. Now, if I send you a letter, what do I expect you to do? I expect you to read it from start to finish, don't I? At one sitting. I don't expect you to read the first paragraph and then say, I'll read the next paragraph next week. I've sent you a letter because I want you to get the message, right? And I expect you to read the whole letter at once. You might go back later and read different paragraphs to try and figure out what I was saying to you, but you'll read the whole letter at once. And, and I'm really of the conviction that when we study the epistles, the letters, we should read the whole epistle at once. But then when you, 2 Timothy, for example, I've got all my, my, my Bible uh, books now. I know exactly how long it takes to read them audibly. And the 2 Timothy takes 10 minutes and 13 seconds to read in its four chapters. And I started to think, well, if I read the whole four chapters on Sunday morning, that doesn't leave me much time to speak. And the Lord said, well, that's the point, isn't it? But it does leave me still 15 minutes to speak. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to, I believe what I believe. And I believe the word of God is far more important than what I've got to say. And I believe we should read it in its entirety before we start studying it in detail. So let's just do that now. And what I'm going to do is, I'm going to read it in the ESV. So if you've got a King James Version, you'll see it's very similar. New King James, very similar. ESV is where I'm going to be reading from. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, and apostle, and a teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of his crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot de deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like, spread like gangrene. Among these are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And... Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to reach, able to teach, patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may all come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 
For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and lead astray by various passions, always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. And how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Titius I have sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. 
Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trosimus, Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful not to be left alone, but to have your written precious word. Help us to give heed to it, Lord. We're thankful too that your spirit, your gracious spirit, has been guaranteed as our teacher. And we look to him, Lord, to guide us as we contemplate a few verses of your word together. And we ask for your blessing now in the Lord's name. Amen. It would have been 1981. Some of you weren't even alive in 81. But not long after we were married, we went to Saltburn by the sea for a young folks weekend. We used to do that regularly. And they were studying First and Second Timothy. And I got challenged in 1981 about my Bible reading. It wasn't that I wasn't reading my Bible, but I wasn't reading it carefully. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really studying my Bible. And so I came home from that um, that weekend, we lived in a little house in Wall's End at that time. Uh, I've still got the old Bible that I really started to study my Bible, read it carefully and try and figure out what God was saying, and not just cursory reading, but really what he was saying. And you would think after all these years I would be doing better than I am. But I always used to read, and, and the books I was studied first, the first books I studied were First and Second Timothy, so they're very precious to me. But I always read First and Second Timothy because you know Paul's an older Christian and Timothy's a younger Christian. You know that's what we've been talking about. And we're talking about an older Christian passing on to a younger Christian the things that he should really be getting serious about and, and doing. And I've always read First and Second Timothy through the eyes of Timothy. But it was only when I was on my holiday with a bunch of old folks that I realised now I've got to read First and Second Timothy through the eyes of the Apostle Paul. And that's where I've come to when I'm reading Second Timothy here. I'm starting to see how important it is for older Christians to encourage and appreciate and instruct younger Christians because we won't be here forever. And God has promised that his kingdom will be extended, his kingdom will stand, his work will progress until he comes again. And so when the Lord takes the old ones away, the buck stops with you. 
And so instead of me reading Second Timothy now thinking, this is all coming down to me, I'm starting to think, this is the stuff I should be encouraging other people to do. And so as I, as I read Second Timothy and I thought about introducing it to you, I, I thought, let's, let's look at it first of all through Paul's eyes and see what Paul was thinking when he, when he wrote Second Timothy. And then we'll see a little bit about what Timothy would get, particularly from this first chapter. Let's see a little bit about Paul. Where is he when he's writing this book? Well, we know where he is. He's in prison. But it's his second time in prison. When you know Ephesians, Colossians, uh, those ones, and Philemon, he was in prison. But it was house arrest, like Imran Khan in Pakistan, and house arrest. So he had all his own things, and, and his people could visit him. But when he's writing this time, it's not house arrest. He's in Rome, and he's in a dungeon, and he's waiting for his execution. Because without telling you the whole story, at that, this particular time, Rome is full of hatred for Christians. Nero's stirred it up, and every Christian he wants to see eaten by lions or burned at the stake. So Timothy is hearing a letter from a man that knows he's about to go. We read that, didn't you? The time of my departure is at hand. I am ready to be offered. I thought, you know, we read that passage. That was one of the reasons we read the whole thing, because we understand it. I did a little bit of research this week about the prison he was in. Now, the prison that Paul's in when he's writing this is not, it's not Sea Wing in Durham Jail, where you've got your own shower and toilet and television. It's not, it's not like that at all. Where Paul is is what's called, let me read it, the Mamertine Prison. The Mamertine Prison. And you can still see the Mamertine Prison in Rome if you go today. We'll give you a wee tour and show you the Mamertine Prison. Listen to how it's described. The Mamertine Prison is literally a circular pit about 30 feet in diameter, with a hole at the top a little larger than that of a manhole in the street. This is the place of incarceration for criminals at the time of the Apostle Paul. Against one section of that circular pit, there was a door, a great large door that was able to be pulled up and then dropped back down in place. The person who wrote this said, the guide instructed us concerning an altar that had been built in recent centuries and then told us that the door basically was there for execution purposes. That it was a common to place prisoners, dropping them through the hole into the dungeon up to about 30 or 35 prisoners, and then in order to make room for the next group of criminals, the door would be pulled open, and running alongside the cell was the city sewage system of Rome. As the door was poured open, the cell or dungeon would fill with sewage, drown all the prisoners, and wash them back out. The door would be shut, the place would be drained, and it would be ready for 30 or 35 more prisoners. Literally, Paul is steeped in sewage. And here he is, faithful servant of God, finishing his life with nothing. Finishing his life with criminals steeped in sewage. And what he's thinking about is young Timothy. And he's not writing to young Timothy to bemoan his situation. And he's not writing to young Timothy to, to say, you, you, you know, can you send somebody to get me out? He's writing to young Timothy to say, I'm nearly home. I'm nearly home. And when I go home, Timothy, it's up to you. It's up to you. There's no way I'm going to get out. Now, Paul 
it seems, didn't die that way with the sewage. It seems that Nero wanted to make an example of him because he was the leader of the Christians and they, they made sure that Paul's execution was public. It seems to be. We don't have that in the Bible, but we have it in history that he was martyred, he was beheaded publicly because Nero wanted to say, this is the boss, we're getting rid of him, we'll stamp out Christianity. What a fool! What a fool! Because 2,000 years of Christian history have taught us that the more people try and stamp it out, the more God prospers it. And I don't mean we should be saying, thank you, Lord, for all that's happening in the United Kingdom against Christian testimony. But, but with all the opposition we've got, folks, they will never overthrow God. And they will never overthrow his kingdom. And they will never overthrow the progress of his work. They never will. We might struggle and we might suffer, but he is in control and he will have the victory. You know, you could almost look at Paul like that. Paul had great prospects in life, folks. He was born with a good family. He was brought up religious. He had a good job. Paul could have lived a life of luxury and popularity. But if you read in Philippians chapter 3, do you know what he said in Philippians 3? The things that were gained to me, I counted them lost for Christ. He said, I made a big decision when I became a Christian. Naturally, as Christians, we want to be comfortable, don't we? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? But people want to live lives that are full of pleasure. They want to live lives that are full of prosperity. People want to live lives that are full of possession. And people want to insulate themselves from any discomfort in life. People want to live comfort, comfortable lives. And Paul's starting to write to Timothy. And do you know what happened? He has forsaken all those things for more than 30 years. He gave up pursuing uh, prosperity. He gave up pursuing position. He gave up pursuing pleasure. He gave up pursuing comfort. He says, Lord, I'm yours. And whatever happens, I'll take it. I'll take it. And that's the man that's writing to Timothy here. You could almost see somebody sidling up to Paul in that dungeon and saying, Paul, look at you. Covered in muck. All your friends have left you. Nobody's thinking about you. Paul, what a waste. You've wasted your life. You've thrown it away for nothing. What a waste. What do you think Paul would say? Have you ever come across that little book by John Piper? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. If you're sensitive and uh, you want your own comfort, don't read it. Don't read it, okay? Just like true discipleship. Don't read books like that. But, but do you know what Paul would say? I have Christ. What want I more? Nothing has been too high a price to pay for the Lord Jesus. When we were on holiday, somebody came up to me. I wear T-shirts with Christian things on them because it helps you find other Christians. Well, I hope it does because you know other Christians come up and they speak to you because they see a text or something like that. And I've got one. I've got a T-shirt and in front and the back it says this. It's a quote from Jimmy Elliot. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
you listen again, listen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul, you've been a fool to end your life like this. And Paul will say, not a bit of it. And so what he's doing with Timothy here, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, listen, I've got to the end of my race. I've got to the end of this. And, and I'm just ready to go to heaven. Now, it's your turn. It's your turn. You know the relay race? And there's a whole pattern of the relay race here in chapter 3. The things that you've learned amongst faithful men, commit to others who will be able to teach others also. Pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. And Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy as we read this chapter. And he's saying, Timothy, time's come. Time's come. I'm passing it on. So, so there's two things I want to say very quickly. The first bit of this chapter is the delight of being appreciated. You know what Paul said to Timothy? Timothy, I love you. And I appreciate you. And I see what you're doing. And I see what you are. And I'm just looking at you. And I want to tell you, Timothy, I really love you. This first eight verses is full of appreciation and affection. And old Christians looking down at young Christians and he's saying, I really, really appreciate you. That was a challenge to me, folks. Because I realised I don't appreciate you the way I should. And the delight of appreciation is that Paul is saying, Timothy, you bring joy to me to see you get on. It's a delight to me to see you. Every time I'm praying, you're in my mind. Every time I remember you, I'm, I'm joyful. I just, Timothy, it's great. It's great to think about you. And what's he thinking about in the midst of this, the dungeon? He's not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about all that he could have had. He's not thinking about all that he's lost. Do you know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about Christians. They're jumping to his mind. And when he prays, Timothy jumps to his mind. He says, I'm constantly praying for you night and day. Night and day. Do you know, do you know how many times Paul says that in his epistles? He says that to almost everybody he writes to. He prays for them night and day. And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of prayer diary has Paul got? Must be a big prayer diary. I'm sure it was. But you know what I'm learning, folks? Prayer is more than just an act. It's an attitude, isn't it? You know, you could be walking up the street, you could have half, you could be looking at the shop windows or what, but somebody suddenly, Christians come to your mind and you pray for them, you pray for them. I think that's what was happening with Paul. Paul just every spare moment was praying for, for Christians. They just jumped to his mind. And the delight of appreciation, right? But can you imagine what it meant to Timothy to hear how much Paul appreciated him? Eh? Just to hear Tim, Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're my beloved son. Timothy, I know that the faith that's in you is real. Now, now, Timothy had actually lost his way a wee bit. We'll see that in a minute. But Paul's not concentrating on the things that he's going to talk about later to help him. He's going to say, before I start, I just want to tell you, Timothy, I really appreciate you. I really love you. And you jumped to my mind when I prayed. And I'm just telling you, Timothy. And Timothy would have been sitting there and he would think, oh, Lord, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve the appreciation of this man. I don't deserve the love of this man. But this man's telling me that because we're brothers in the Lord, he loves me. He loves me. Folks, I think we should tell each other that more. 
And as the hairs go grey and the joints go stiff, I think we should tell our younger folks that more than we do. I really do. And I can tell you, folks, forgive me, but when we were together as elders, one of the things we really said was we appreciate our young people, didn't we? And we do. We do. Now, we're not all perfect. We've still a long way to go. But don't you go away thinking that you're not loved and appreciated because you absolutely are. Every single Christian in this fellowship is loved and appreciated. And Paul said, listen, I'm nearly home. But I love you. And I appreciate you. The second thing I want you to see is this. The danger of being ashamed. Because here's Paul and he says to Timothy, Timothy, excuse me, be not ashamed of me or of the Lord or, or me as prisoner. You see, if you read this, you'll discover that it seems as though Timothy maybe has lost a wee bit of the edge of his enthusiasm since Paul left him there. He says, listen, the Lord hasn't given you a spirit of, of timidness. He's given us a timid, you, you've become a, Timothy, you've become a wee bit timid. As the years have gone on, Timothy seems maybe to have lost his edge just a wee bit in his enthusiasm and his ministry for the Lord. Folks, let's not be critical. It can happen to us all, can't it? You see, it may be that Timothy, all those years ago, went into Ephesus full of enthusiasm and encouragement from Paul to face the false teachers, to, to counter the false teaching. And for five or six years, he's been trying to fight against a flood of false teaching. Listen, folks. We are constantly trying to fight against a flood of false teaching, aren't we? Aren't we? It takes its toll. It takes its toll. Sometimes you can just think, oh, this is, this, is all, this is all a bit too much for me. It's just like, not again, not again, not another problem. Not, and maybe Timothy's just thought, I'm just a bit tired of this. Maybe he got a bit discouraged. Maybe he'd been given ministry and encouragement and instead of the folks responding and going on, he's seen nothing. Seen nothing for his ministry and he's got a bit of discouragement. Maybe he's just getting into a rut. Eh? Paul says, listen, stir up the gift that's in you. You know, stir it up again because you've got any a bit of a rut. Folks, it's easy to get in a rut. Isn't it? Ah, just... Trail along in a meeting, and I'll trail along in a meeting, and if I don't fancy it, I don't fancy it. Big deal. I read my Bible for five minutes in the morning, I'll read it another five minutes in the morning, and ach, if the Lord speaks to me, the Lord speaks to me, but if he doesn't, he doesn't. He's ain't getting a rut, isn't he? As you read this, it seems as though Paul is thinking that Timothy's got a wee bit in a rut, and he's saying, listen, don't be ashamed of the Lord. Timothy, you would never be ashamed of the Lord, would you? What about Peter? Hey, what about Peter? Have there been a time when you should have spoken for him and you didn't? Hey, ever a time the Lord's just given you something to do and you got scared? You might have been discouraged or you might have been scared of what the reaction was, but you just kept your mouth shut when you should have said something else. And I don't mean you would hold up a banner saying I'm ashamed of, of Christ, but, but we get like that, don't we? And Paul said, listen, don't be ashamed. Three times in this chapter, he talks about being ashamed, being ashamed, being ashamed. And so I finish with this, folks. Paul's encouraging them to go on. Listen, I'll read two things to you and then I'll finish. Listen. Paul's at the end of his life and he's got nothing. 
but a dark dun dungeon. And people have said, you've nothing left, you've wasted your life. Paul says, no, I'm not wasting my Folks, whatever you give up for Christ is not a waste. Not a waste. Make him your big priority. Look, I, this is my little book that I read in the morning after I've done my bio reading. It's called The Valley of Vision. This is what my reading was this morning. So I'm thinking about all this stuff in my head. Listen, listen to this. Most men live for themselves without much regard for any of your glory or for the good of others. He's talking about Christians now. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue riches, honours, pleasures of this life. And if they supposed that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their souls immortal, they would do it. But alas, what false delusive dreams are these? And how miserable ere long will be those that sleep in them. For our, all our happiness consists in loving Christ and being holy as thou art holy. Oh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of this present world, and there's a whole load more. Do you see what he's saying? See what he's saying? And in the danger of, even though at one time you were red hot and enthusiastic, maybe just losing your ardour a wee bit and needing somebody to come along and say, come on, get at it, get at it, stand me up. There's nothing wrong when somebody comes beside you. They're not rebuking you, they're trying to encourage you. Listen to this. There's a little story behind this, and I'm just going to read it to you. It seems to have been better recorded by a man called Robert Moorhead. Robert Moorhead tells the story of a young man from Rwanda who was forced by his tribe in 1980 to renounce Christ or face death. He refused to renounce Christ, as Paul did in, in, in Rome. And many more have done so down through the ages. And this young man was murdered on the spot. The night before he was martyred, the young man had written the following commitment, which was found in his room after his death. And Robert Moorhead writes, Can you make this kind of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to read what the young man wrote on the eve of his death, knowing he was going to die. It was entitled, The Fellowship of the Unashamed. Be not now therefore ashamed. Okay? This is what the young man wrote. They reckon he was about 21. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I keep this in my Bible to remind me. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will not look back. I will not let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. And my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living. Sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits or popularity. I don't have the right to be first, tops, recognised, praised, regarded or rewarded. Now I live in the presence of the Lord. I learn by faith. I love by patience. I lift by prayer and I labour by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. 
My road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up. I will not back up, let up or shut up until I have preached up, prayed up and paid up, stored up and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go on until he returns. I will give until I drop. I will preach everything I know. And I will work until he comes. And when he comes. To get his own. He will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. For I am not ashamed. Of the gospel. Of Christ. Be not thou therefore. Ashamed. Let's pray. Lord, how gracious and how kind thou art to not only save us, but teach us, bear with us, instruct us, protect us, grant us the assurance of heaven and take us one day to be with thyself. How good, how good is God. How great it is to know the Lord. And we regret and bemoan those times when we've been ashamed to speak his name in front of others we pray that they would give us courage to be like Timothy to take up the baton and go on for Christ thank you Lord for our time together and bless our further fellowship in the Lord's name